Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality and geekdom by celebrating the diverse in their accomplishments. I'm your host, Elaine Sims, and I have an amazing guest today. Um, but before I introduce her, I wanted to let you all know that I have finally, due to um, demand, uh, started a Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash Aline, which is A-L-E-E-N. And uh, my goal is to kind of get some money coming in. Um, uh, as longtime listeners know, I've paid for everything from equipment to hosting to travel expenses out of pocket. Um, and I'd like to do more with the show and more to promote diversity, um, but I kind of need some income um, dedicated to doing that. So if y'all could help me out, chip in a buck or two a month, it would be fabulous. If you can't, don't worry. The show will always be free. Um, I just need a little bit of support so that I can kind of travel and and spread the word and um, help people find out about all these amazing guests I've had. And with that, I'm going to introduce today's guest, Andrea Judy. Andrea, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. I am so excited to talk to you. (laughs) Uh, Who are you? Um, well, I'm a writer primarily of, I guess, genre fiction now, but I have a background in literary fiction and poetry. Um, so I've got a bachelor's in creative writing and a master's in rhetoric and composition. So I kind of talk about language from all perspectives, whether it's, you know, the pulp novels of a while back, comic books, video games, or the best way to teach freshmen in college. So we. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I have nothing but respect for people who teach freshmen in college because, oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I got the degree and I'm qualified to do it, but I think I would pull out all of my hair on day one if I were to actually start teaching freshman composition. I think I would just explode on site. <laughs> yeah, I, I think about myself as a freshman and I definitely would not want to teach <laughs> 18 year old Aline anything like new me either (laughs) I would not want to deal with 18 year old me fresh in college I'm like oh god I'm so sorry I'm so sorry Dr. (laughs) Brown I'm so sorry (laughs) yeah yeah back when I knew it all it was it it was amazing to know everything but yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) so oh I don't even know where to start because there's so much I want to talk to you about but um (laughs) Oh my gosh. So your blog, I am a writer as well. Um, less on the fiction side and more just kind of on the introspective processing my thoughts side. Um, but I've been reading your blog and you you write frequently about writing. And I love that <laughs> because, I mean, you've talked, the posts I've read so far, you've talked about everything from like, wanting to be a night owl and coming to terms with being a morning person and, you know, like, um, creating a schedule and, and showing up every day to write and, and those kinds of things that are just like, I've just kind of, was at the optometrist's office, just kind of nodding, looking at my phone going, yeah, yeah. She's telling me what I need to hear here. Yeah, a lot of those are based just off of things that I wish I would have known forever ago. Um, You know, I I got my bachelor's in creative writing, but I feel like there wasn't a whole lot of discussion in that program about what it actually took to write as as a life and just to get published. 
So a lot of my posts are sort of just the things that I need to remind myself of. A lot of the time, it's just sort of a, hey, note to self, remember, you don't have to do X, Y, or Z, or you have to actually write things to be a writer. <laughs> Amazingly. Yeah. Yeah, shocker. <laughs> um, at one point on a now defunct blog, I had a blog post about I'm a writer who doesn't write and um, how I, I don't feel complete if I don't actually sit down and write, but I don't make the time to do that very often. Um, it, it's, it's bad. Yeah. And I mean, it, it can be hard. And I love that you said make the time because so many people say, well, if I could just find the time, like it's not going to fall from the sky into your lap. You know, you have to make the time and carve it out of your day and it can be a real challenge. It definitely can. And you write while having a day job, right? I do. Um, I work full time right now, but thankfully I don't. Well, I guess maybe not thankfully, but I don't have any kids or, you know, relationships to deal with. So the people who have multiple kids and family obligations and full time jobs and still write, I, they, they are superheroes as far as I'm concerned, because I can barely manage with just a full time job and, you know, general occasionally going to conventions or going out with friends once in a while kind of life and still finishing things. So the people with kids out there, man, you guys rock. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there's, I don't even know if it's still in there. It used to be a show that uh, Barbara DeMarco Barrett did called writing writers on writing. And she would talk to people who like, I remember one, I don't, I don't remember the author, but she was a lawyer, a full-time like litigation attorney. Ooh. And she would write in five minute spurts between briefings. And I was like, I don't know if I could do that. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, sometimes it's just, you got to do what you got to do. And, you know, it's first, I mean, I know people who get up at three in the morning and write before anyone else in their house gets up. I don't know if I am capable of doing that. You know, um, I guess if that was the only possible time I could find to write, I would find a way to make it happen. But I mean, it can be a real sacrifice to to make the time to write, whether it is grabbing all those five minute chunks or, you know, getting up three hours before everyone else. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> do you have do you have a process or a ritual um, around your writing? Like, I know some people are like, okay, well, I've got to have my favorite pen <laughs> and, you know, my, my cup of tea prepared just so. Do you have anything like that? Or are you able to just kind of sit down and, and fall into it? Um, I used to have a writing candle, but it turns out my kitten is a pyromaniac and will attempt to light herself on fire. So that oh doesn't, my gosh. That That's doesn't work worst. anymore. So um, now I just kind of have to fall into it. And that usually means it takes a little longer. I wish that I had some sort of, you know, turn on, turn off when I'm at this spot. You know, this is workplace. Um, but, you know, I don't have a dedicated office. I do a lot of my writing in the living room while my roommates are playing video games or watching movies. So it's, I guess, maybe music. I tend to put on my headphones and um, there's a site or an app. I don't know exactly what it is. It's called Coffeetivity. I love it, that. It that is what I will turn on and I will just I guess that's probably the closest thing I have to an actual ritual. But most of the time it's sort of just grabbing the little time when I can, no matter where it's at. So what have you written? I mean, you have several books out. Um, I have I guess three short stories and anthologies out. 
And then I've probably got four or five poems and short stories out in literary magazines. And then I have two, they're called digest novels, but they're basically novella length um, standalone works out. And then I've got, I think, three anthologies coming out, or short stories in anthologies coming out sometime this year. I tend to have a lot of short work out. And right now I'm working on longer work, but most of my stuff has been short stories or uh, shorter novels. What is the process of like actually getting published like, or I, I guess it's different for everybody, but what was it like for you? So for me, it was actually very heavily involved in, in fandom and conventions. Um, I went to a convention called Connuga in Chattanooga, and they have they have a really great writing track, which is why I decided to go with, I think like two weeks before the convention, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? <laughs> and, you know, I off I went. Um, and I met a lot of really great writers there that I kept in touch with. And eventually I gave a short story of mine to one of them. And he then recommended me to a publisher to fill in for a short story they needed. Um, so it, it came around from people I had met at conventions and, and had known that they recommended me to other people. And the cycle has continued from there, basically. That's really cool, though. Yeah, it's been really neat. And, you know, it's not it's not a way I ever would have thought of getting published. But I mean, writing is there's a lot of networking involved in writing. I mean, so many anthologies sort of get put together at the bar after a convention when, you know, writers and publishers are just sitting around and someone goes, you know, what would be a cool idea? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I think of the process of getting published as like you know, you, you write a sample and then you query oh. agents and then they <laughs> pitch to publishers and then you get like 35 rejection letters. And then if you're really, really lucky, one publisher out there will take a chance. And um, yeah, yeah, I am. I'm currently um, querying a novel. So I am currently eyeball deep in in all of that, which has been a, a very interesting experience. And I'm kind of glad that I've had these other these other experiences as well so that it's not just because writing writing is a lot of dealing with rejection mm -hmm. I, I don't think a lot of people realize that but so I one of the agents I queried posted her stats for 2014 and I think she got 500 and something queries and ended up with two single digits two new clients that year wow you know so th those are the kind of odds that that writers are dealing with whether it's publishing for or pitching a story to a magazine or, you know, trying to query their novel or submitting to a contest or submitting to a, you know, short story collection. There's there's a lot of rejection that that you have to deal with. And I know when I came out of school, I was totally unprepared for that level of rejection. And it was kind of really jarring. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, it's hard enough um, for me anyway to quell my own inner critic, let alone like all right, so I'm, I'm past this inner critic, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to show this to somebody and then they hate it. Yes. Oh, <laughs> it's just not. And I actually think that's part of why I don't write more is because of that fear of rejection. Yeah, I've started just sort of looking at it in the in the way of how many people don't ever even get rejections because they never finish anything or they never actually submit something. So at least, you know, I'm a step ahead of where I was three years ago when I wouldn't submit anything. So this this rejection isn't necessarily a bad thing. It sucks, but it means that I'm actually trying. 
And that's an excellent point. I had um, Georgia Dow on the show a few weeks ago, and she's um, she has a few tech podcasts. She's a therapist. She writes for imore.com. Like, she's kind of all over the place. <laughs> and um, and we had a similar conversation. She said, you know, I, I decided that I needed – my mindset needed to be that failure was in not trying. Failure isn't not succeeding. Failure is not trying. And so I go out and I try all of these different things. And some of them I like, some of them I'm good at, and some of them I'm not. Um, So I'm trying to take both of your uh, words of wisdom (laughs) to heart because I think it's excellent advice. It is. It's and, you know, it's great advice. But, you know, just a couple weeks ago, you know, I got a rejection and it was just like devastating. I was completely devastated. And it wasn't even on, you know, something I had worked on forever and was super proud of. It was, you know, of a of a short story that, you know, I was I was proud of, but it wasn't the best thing I've ever written. And, you know, I got this rejection and I was just devastated. I, you know, just hid in my room and was so upset and you know, sometimes it just hits you hard. And I think part of being a writer and being in, I guess, any creative field really is you have to learn how to deal with the peaks and the valleys, because there are a lot of them. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you've, you've mentioned the convention thing that you do. Um, will you talk more about um, like going to conventions as like actually a participant and vendor, which you have done in the past versus like what I do where I just kind of go and play. Yeah. Um, I've been going to conventions, I guess, closing in on 12 or 13 years now. And I've been on like all sides. I've been, you know, just going to go and I volunteered for other vendors and I've been a volunteer for the convention as a whole. And I've been a panelist and a guest and, it's the first time on the other side of the table is always kind of a surreal experience. Remembering I can't just get up and wander off to whatever seems interesting. Um, you know, I'll see a cool costume go by and I want to chase them down and get a picture, but I can't leave my table unattended. Um, and the first couple of conventions, that was a really weird thing. Um, and then realizing that green rooms exist and are a thing and that I could go into them. That was a really exciting moment. Or when volunteers will walk around and offer water to you because you're behind the table. You know, it's it was kind of a a weird experience. And how much and how many people know one another always surprises me. You know, I've been to conventions in the middle of nowhere, Arkansas. And, you know, it was Cousin It and like the seven foot tall guy named Shorty. And it was just the coolest and weirdest experience ever. And now I, I run into people all the time that I've met at conventions. And it's it's just so interesting to see how people populate all over the world. And you're like, oh, I know you. We were at such and such convention three years ago. Now I'm a friend. I have a friend here. Cool. How interesting. I imagine <laughs> that like a lot of the companies probably that's what they do, right? They just go to cons. Yeah, I worked for um, the first place I worked for at an anime um, was at an anime convention and it was a vendor who sold DVDs and posters and that sort of thing. And yeah, that was that was what he did. He traveled all around the country going to conventions. And, you know, if I would go and work there, I would get a free badge and, you know, a room or whatever. And so it was it was a lot of fun, but it's exhausting because I'm I'm fairly introverted. And so to be on and happy and perky and talking to strangers for hours and hours and hours every day, 
you know, I'd come home completely drained and just not wanting to look or speak to anyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would be really rough. Yeah. And, you know, it's even, you know, sometimes you get really rude people or people who are making suggestive and awkward comments. And it's kind of a figuring out how do you deal with that? How do you balance that? You know, how do you, you know, because at the same time, you're trying to make a sale. So it's it's a weird point of how much am I willing to put up with to try and make a sale to try and break even on my travel expenses? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, there have been yeah. some really interesting experiences with that. Yeah, and I've talked to people, you know, other people who've been exhibitors um, and about some of the stuff that they've faced. And yeah. it's just like, oh, we need to... <laughs> We need to figure this out. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times it's, well, why didn't you get security or why didn't you do X, Y or Z? And a lot of times it's in that moment. First off, there's no one else around. Or second off, it's such a weird moment that it's like time freezes and there is no reaction. It's it's weird. You know, and security has gotten significantly, significantly better as time has gone on, which I've been really happy to see. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a hard it's a hard hard thing especially I think when you are an introvert because I'm I am introverted too so it's like okay like I can either make this situation go away or I can you know call security and have to deal with more and yeah yeah it, it can become a you know balancing act I mean I have friends that I'm very fortunate in that I have a lot of friends who are not at all afraid to come to my defense and a lot of them are really large men with lots of tattoos that like really look like they will mess you up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I know I can send a text to one of them and say SOS and they'll be there in, in a second to help. And that, that, that to me is less stressful than trying to get a hold of security and, you know, trying to do that. So I guess uh, you find ways to deal with things and eventually you have to find the line that that crosses into that. You know, if someone is touching me inappropriately, that's that's the end of that line that I am going to make a fuss about and get security involved because that's not cool. But it it is it's a really weird way to try and find the line of what what will you deal with to try and make a sale or to try and make this situation go away versus, you know, what is going on. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I haven't had a lot of a lot of issues recently. It's been a couple years since I've had a a really bad experience based on a con person. There have been some that have been people who are just at the hotel for totally unrelated reasons, you know, like a soccer team at the hotel. Yeah, and that just kind of turns into a totally different situation to to try and deal with because that's not necessarily something con security has any control over or say so in so that one kind of you know do I tell the hotel do you know are they going to call the police what kind of issue is this going to become so there's a lot of weighing pros and cons you feel like it's been a little bit better in recent years while you've actually been like on the con floor um why is that do you think do you have a theory um, I really think that social media has helped with that because it's exposing the problems that otherwise people were afraid to talk about or that were being ignored. So I really think that, that social media and the ability for people to tell people what's going on, you know, if if I were to say something 
So there was a convention, one of the very first conventions I went to that I had a lot of issues with. I mean, guys were lifting up my skirt. They were grabbing me inappropriately and security did nothing. I mean, I got absolutely no help from security. And I haven't been back to that convention since, even though I've heard that it's significantly better now. But I feel like if at that time I had been able to get on Twitter or, you know, something like that, that that would have helped the issue in the regards that it would have brought more attention to it. So the convention would have had to deal with it as opposed to ignoring it. Because maybe I just got one bummed security guard and it's not the actual convention that had the issue, which I mean, I think is is also a problem. A lot of convention people are they're volunteers. Mm -hmm. So I try to not blame them too much for things that go on, because at the end of the day, they're volunteers. They're not getting paid for their time and they're putting up with a lot. Yeah, that's true. I also wonder if if people pay are paying attention to codes of conduct more now, maybe as a result of social media and maybe gaining an understanding of acceptable way acceptable ways to treat people. Yeah, and and I mean I think that also people are getting less afraid of calling out bad behavior when they see it. Um, I know that I've had, you know, like I was on a panel recently where somebody was saying, oh, women don't get harassed on social media. And, you know, oh. the, the panelist beside me got up out of her seat. How dare you? Oh, wow. It was like, oh, oh, we're about to go into cage match. I don't like this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and I mean, it, on one hand, it was terrifying because I didn't want to be in the middle of the argument. But on the other hand, I was so glad that she was totally unafraid to speak up and say, you know, Dude, just because that isn't your experience, don't you dare invalidate the experience of the other people up here. That is mind-boggling to me. That yeah, it was. I yeah. <laughs> have you not been paying attention to what's been going on the last I don't know eight months? Yes, exactly. It was it was such an out of touch, weird comment that. You know, I, I was glad that it didn't just stand unchallenged. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm in awe. Like, I'm just, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times when stuff like that happens, you know, people later on go, well, why didn't you say something? It's like, because I didn't know if this was real life. Right. How is that possible? I was sucked into some weird parallel dimension and it's. Yeah, Weird. Like, <laughs> the rules of life as I know it don't apply here. I don't know what to do. <laughs> wow. I, I'm just, it, you know, it's and it's interesting because I know that this exists, right? I know that, you know, quote unquote, bad people exist and not even just bad people, but oblivious people and people who, you know, can't see the world, you know, past the nose on their face. And like I understand that, but when I'm confronted with it, I, it's just like, wait, how can you think that? How can you, how can, I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, there are a lot of times I hear people say things and I just kind of have to tilt my head and just go, what did you just say? Listen to yourself because we live in separate realities, apparently, because yeah. No, your your experience is not the only defining experience of everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know why people don't see that. I guess I need to have a 
an empathy expert on the show so that we can talk <laughs> about that because it seems like people just are, are, I don't know, I don't know if they're incapable or just unwilling or have never needed to um, try to look at things through someone else's, you know, point of view, but holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was that was an interesting an interesting uh, moment. <laughs> so, what kind of panels do you typically appear on? Um, I talk a lot on pulp panels because the publishers that I tend to work with are pulp, so sort of old style, you know, Doc Savage, Indiana Jones type of action adventure stories. Um, so, I appear on a lot of those, um, which is always interesting because I'm usually the only, if not you know, maybe there's one other woman, but it's usually me and a, a bunch of men who are significantly older than me. So that's always an interesting experience when I walk in because nobody ever knows what's going to come out of my mouth about this because I didn't grow up with those stories. Um, so that's, that's been fun. Um, I'm starting to write more young adult stuff just because I, I like those books. And I think that having a, a wider range of stories available for younger adults and encouraging more reading is never a bad thing. Yeah, I agree. Some of my favorite books are young adult books. So. Yeah, some of them like totally rock. There are some amazing young adult books out there. I love um, Maureen Johnson. Oh, yes. Um, the Shadow Cabinet and, and all of those. Um, I, I, I like John Green as like an internet personality, but I cannot <laughs> get into his books. I, I, I've tried to, and I just did not like either of them. Yeah, I haven't read his. I mean, I have. I think The Fault in Our Stars is sitting on my bookshelf somewhere, but. I don't I don't usually willingly go to books that I know are going to make me ugly cry. Yeah. I tend to read on the train, so it's really awkward uh, yeah, if I start yeah. to like ugly cry. Just sob. Yeah. Yeah, um I just read uh The Five Stages of Andrew Brawley, which I think is by Sean David Hutchinson, I think is his name. It was amazing. It was totally it? made me ugly cry. It was a combination of of a novel and then the main character is also drawing a comic. So the comic was interspersed with it. Oh, so oh, neat. so good. Um, trying to think. Oh, I'm in the middle of a Scott Westerfield series right now too, which Ooh. is like a reimagined World War One um, series. But instead of like as we know it, um, Charles Darwin actually got into genetic engineering, oh. and so there there are two factions. There are the Darwinists and um, the slur in the book is the clankers. So they're the people who the Darwinists have like all of these creatures, including like a, a whale equivalent of a blimp that oh they, God. that they ride around on. And then, you know, the, the, um, like the Germans, um, relied on machinery. And so it's, it's a really interesting reimagining of, of the whole thing. And I've, um, I've enjoyed it. So anyway, back to conventions. Um, you've also organized a few panels, haven't you? Yeah, um, I was one of my favorite conventions that I've been to recently is a is a local Harry Potter convention called Conjuration. Yes, and it was so much fun. So I I suggested a couple of panels, and the one I was I was there were two I was really pleasantly surprised about is um, I did a women in sci fi and fantasy panel that was a Friday night competing against, you know, the costume contests and a bunch of other stuff. So I walked into the room expecting, you know, maybe four people. It was packed, standing room only. 
And it was amazing. We had an incredible discussion about characters, about diversity, uh, about, you know, sexuality, about how there need to be more diverse creators, not just diverse characters. And it was an amazing discussion that just, it was awesome. Everybody had amazing opinions. Everybody was really civil about everything. It was great. It was just like the dream panel. I don't know if I will ever have that experience again. And it was, it was incredible. And I was so proud of putting that that idea together and submitting it to them. So I'm really excited to continue using that panel and discussion. That's fantastic. So what is it like? I for I went to PAX East last month and um, prior to going, um, I had people who were like, oh, you should submit a panel. And I didn't do it because I wasn't sure. Like I, I'd never been to PAX before and it was kind of like, falling back on my introversion and trying to decide where my boundaries were for the whole thing. But what is it like organizing a panel, like conceiving of, I guess, proposing, finding people to be on it and all of that? (laughs) How is that? Um, I mean, most of the panels that I've put together have been primarily just me or maybe me and somebody else that I already know pretty well. Um, But it... A lot of it is you have to find an idea that you are passionate about and that you are knowledgeable about, or at least make sure there's somebody knowledgeable. It can totally work to have one person who doesn't know anything on a panel, as long as there's someone who does. So if I were to be put on, I don't know, a Wild West panel, I would be the person who didn't know very much at all and would be asking questions um, or would be, you know, saying, well, from my experiences with it, but you need to have someone who knows what they're talking about. Um, But it has to be something you're really passionate about and that you're not afraid to answer questions about. Yeah. And I don't I don't tend to do a ton of research beforehand. I mean, I did a good bit of research for the women in sci fi and fantasy panel because I knew that there were a lot of characters that I hadn't personally been exposed to. So I wanted to try and include as many as possible. But a lot of times I just sort of do a preliminary overview and then let the audience lead the panel. Because as far as I'm concerned, the the reason I am there is to answer the questions of these people who came to the panel. So I would rather let them ask whatever they want to know about or learn whatever they're curious about than try and dictate what's going to happen. And sometimes that leads to a lot of awkward silences when people are afraid to ask questions or don't have any questions or, you know, are killing time before another panel. But that that's tended to be how I how I operate. And it's it's worked out fairly well. <laughs> There's only been a couple of, of problems and, and issues where I probably should have, you know, done a little more talking before opening the floor to questions or there really has not been, you know, really very good questions coming from the audience. But otherwise, it's worked pretty well. That's an interesting way to approach it. I've um, I mean, I've been to not a lot of cons, but I've been to several. And I think the panels I've attended have always been like, all right, we'll talk. And then the last, you know, five, 10, 15 minutes, we'll open it up to, to audience questions. And, um, that was always kind of, it's usually disappointing to me because I find myself like wanting to know what people want to know, as opposed to like what the people on the stage just kind of want to say, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah. And that's why I try and, you know, open up questions way early in because I, 
I know I've been on panels before where I never got to ask him a question because we ran out of time or panelists get off topic and start talking about other things for 20 minutes and, you know, you only get 10 minutes of actual topic. So, you know, I found that that works well for most panels, especially panels about writing, because people tend to go into those with with very specific questions that they're they want to know about. What is your favorite convention? Oh, that is a tough one. Um, right now, it's probably a toss up between Conjuration and Conuga, um, which I, I tend to like smaller conventions because I feel like they're more intimate and you get a better chance to actually talk to the people there and get your questions answered and learn more about what's going on. So those those two, I guess, would be would be tied for my favorite. <laughs> Well, I like Chattanooga just in general, so. Yeah, I really I really love Connuga. It's sort of a baby dragon con because it's a bunch of different fandoms and different tracks. You know, there's horror and fantasy and anime and writing and all of the tracks are really well run and it's at the Chattanooga Choo Choo. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, neat. So it's, it's one of my favorites. I, I look forward to that every year. It's like a big family reunion because by this point, I know almost all of the writers who go to it. So, you know, we, we all get to meet up again. And you, you end up with a sort of convention family that you see, you know, four times a year. But you're still really close and talk to each other all the time on social media or from your phone. Thank goodness for social media. I know. It's the best. Really? Well, and the worst, but yeah, yeah, I I often think about the day where I like, okay, is it ever going to get a point and get to a point where I can't use Twitter anymore? Like, am I going to get so much harassment that I can't just block the haters and, you know, interact with the people who I really enjoy? Because I have, you know, I have some friends on Twitter who just make me laugh every day and I love it. I love it. Yeah. Like, um, um, so social media actually has led to one of my coolest things happening to me. One of my friends on social media tagged me in a contest that was going on about the Dark Crystal, where they were um, looking for someone to write a new novel, which will be out sometime this year, I think. And so I putzed around and, and eventually into, entered, and I didn't win, but I was one of the editor's choices. And that meant that in October of this past year, I got to go up to New York and do a tour of the Jim Henson workshop and no way. meet Cheryl Henson and like touch Big Bird and like see where Cookie Monster is made. And then we went and saw a screening of the movie and met with a bunch of editors and it was amazing. And I would have never known that that was happening if it hadn't been for social media and my friend saying, hey, you talk about this movie all the time. It's such a good movie. I know. Oh, that and the labyrinth are like my mm-hmm. whole childhood obsessions. <laughs> you and me both. That and uh, uh, plus Jim and the holograms. Oh <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, and Rainbow Bright, I think, was oh my, my other one. <laughs> yeah, and the original, original My Little Pony with the terrible, terrible graphics. Yes, oh, I'm so glad they brought it back and it's good now though <laughs> i know i love it my roommates and i still watch it from time to time on netflix uh so um i had a, a very good friend who was sick and she had two kids and so my husband and i would take the kids and um you know we'd take them to the park or take them to the museum or whatever and 
we were with a group of people one day and had a at a in and out and um my friend's son was like looked at my shirt it was a pinkie pie shirt and he was like my little ponies for girls and I looked at him and I was like, do you know who likes My Little Pony? And he was like, no. And I pointed to my husband. And my husband is 6'5". And he's covered in hair. And, you know, he's he's burly. And so I pointed to Justin. And I was like, Justin does. And then his best friend was sitting across from him. I was like, Jonathan does. And, and so the kid was like, he kind of stood there for a second. And he was like, well... I guess it's okay. (laughs) I was like, oh, kid, you don't even know what you're missing out on. For real. Yeah, I don't know about this. I mean, did you know that Jim and the Holograms is being, there's a movie being made? Yes, and they are doing a comic, too. I've seen a lot more about the comic than I have about the movie. Yeah, the comic, so the first issue came out, I think, last week. I think so. Yeah, so I read it. I bought it on Comixology and read it, and... It's actually not bad. And I'm super Yay. impressed with the art. Like they have people with different body types and, you know, oh. like one thing that I think that Jim did well, especially for, you know, the the mid 80s was, you know, there were there was racial diversity there and they've kept that. And um, so I'm super excited <laughs> about it. I hope it goes well. Yeah, I've I've. I'm I'm really happy to see more diversity and and more women characters and creators um, getting more spotlight in comics because I like comics so I'm very excited to have a wider range of female creators or female stories to follow. Yeah, I um I I was on a podcast called The Impromptu recently and we talked about comics and I said you know I never got into them growing up because I didn't have access to them but also because it just never seemed like they were for me you know they were it was for for boys and men and I wasn't interested yeah as recently as I think like last year my dad was shocked that I liked the Iron Man movie and had seen Avengers and I was like I own the special edition briefcase with all of the behind the scenes stuff and the blu-rays I what how do you not know this yeah yeah it's it's you know I I don't think it's better yet but I think it's getting there and I've heard that the female Thor is fabulous so yeah I've not been reading that one but my my roommate has and she loves it I might have to pick it up because, you know. Yeah, I have been really enjoying. It's called Bitch Planet. (laughs) And I have been adoring it. It's amazing. What's it about? It is basically about a world where, like, patriarchy is, like, hardcore out of control. So non-compliant women are sent to a, basically, a prison planet, which is colloquially referred to as Bitch Planet. So that's where the title comes from. And it's so it's about the women on this planet and their struggles. And it's amazing. It's got the widest range of body type. And the the creator is Kelly Sue DeConnick, who does Captain Marvel and Pretty Deadly and is one of my favorite people on the planet. And, um, you know, she I saw her speak at Dragon Con and she said that she had told her her artist that unless she specified no character was supposed to be a white woman. Nobody, <gasps> nobody, unless they were specifically said to be. And 
Wow. And it's been amazing. You know, it's it's an amazing story. I've really loved it. <laughs> I am going to have to check that out because, you know, it's something that I've talked about on the show in the past with other guests is like the default. When I read a book, my default character is a white male. Yeah. Yeah. And that should not be that's not the default human. Right. And, um, you know, I read the Expanse series by Jim, uh, James S.A. Corey. And um, and every time I, it was a really, really great series. I really enjoy it. I'm looking forward to the sequel. But um, like I'm reading through and the authors did the same thing, like the default. And you could just tell that this unconscious bias was that the default character was was a white male because, <laughs> They made a point of point. They made a point of calling out skin tone for other characters. So, you know, blah blah blah, ebony skin, and then you know they'd introduce mm-hmm. a new character, and nothing was said about skin color. So, yeah, this that this is that's probably my favorite comic, and in the back also includes a lot of really intelligent essays about you know the prison system and racial discrimination, and it's just it's phenomenal. What else have you been reading? Um, I've kind of fallen a lot behind on a lot of my comics. I have a lot of unread ones just like hanging out. I'm so behind on Miss Marvel. I'm super behind on Captain Marvel. I'm behind on Loki. I have a princess Ugg is another one that's awesome. It's basically like if a barbarian princess, the Disney princess finishing school. Oh, and it is. It's so funny. And it's, it's great. And it hasn't at all turned out like I thought. I was really worried it would sort of turn into girl versus girl, and Mm -hmm. it didn't. And I was so pleasantly and happily surprised. Um, Would it be appropriate for kids, do you think? Um, there's a of blood and violence, but it's not super gory. I mean, you know, there's people who get hit in the head with, with a hammer and a little bit of blood comes from that, but it's not overly graphic. So it would probably be okay from maybe like upper middle school to high school. You, know, you probably don't want to give it to an elementary schooler necessarily. Yeah, I have uh, my friend Steve Lubitz has um, a seven-year-old and twin. I think they're five um, girls who he's like, I, if they want to read comics, I want to make them available. But I can't find any that are like age appropriate. Uh, one that I think would be is it's called Prince Less. And it's it's really good, too. So it's about a, a princess who's going to rescue all of her sisters who are, you know, each, you know, one's trapped at the t- top of a tower and one's guarded by a dragon. So she's running off to go and rescue all of her sisters. And it's really good. And it's really age appropriate. OK, that sounds really good. Um, I know I think he's talked about Squirrel Squirrel Girl. Yeah, I've, I haven't read that one, but I've heard good things. And then Miss Marvel, I think, um, I don't know if he's looked into, but I think people have suggested that one too. Yeah, that one would be pretty good for, it's a pretty age appropriate comic. It's not overly anything. It's just really good. <laughs> yeah, I it just, I always come back to, I wish I had more time because there's so many games I want to play and books I yes. want to read. And, you know, and I've got things I want to write and I have a full-time job and it just it gets in the way man I know how dare that job keep me from my video games I know like I (laughs) you know and I'm really grateful I work at a wonderful company I work with great people and but there are just some days where I'm like I could play 
I could be playing Zelda right now. <laughs> I could be reading, yes. you know, like catching up on The Walking Dead and instead I'm writing documentation and I just don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, there are definitely those moments where I'm like, I could be at home playing Dragon Age and you guys are all up in the way because I can't play Dragon Age at work. <laughs> I think we all do that, though, no matter how much oh, we yeah. like our jobs. Yeah, there's always something else you'd rather be doing. Always in good company. So you like Dragon Age? I do. I am like, uh, yeah, I have a problem. I'm actually, I just started replaying two because we got new DLC for it. So I nice. just started replaying the second one. And I'm like, oh, Hawk, my little Hawk. <laughs> I was reading, so I think it was Will Wheaton's blog. And he said something about like, he's put 200 hours into Dragon Age Inquisition so oh far. Oh my God. It's so, it can be so long if you try and do all the quests. Yeah, and that's, I think that's what he's doing. The advice I've received is don't do side quests. No, do just, a minimum side quest. Yep. Just get through it. And then if you want to, like, come back to it, you can, but, like, yes. just, just, just go through. Yeah, I think just going straight through. I think I've done Dragon Age 3 about three times now. And if you just go straight through, it can be done in, I don't know, maybe 30 or 40 hours if you do the minimum side questing. So, but I like the story. Like, I'm like, I'm in it for the story. And so I do all the stupid side quests. And I, yeah. Well, a lot of the Inquisition side quests are a lot of fetch quests or like go find this thing. It's not really super story based. Mm. So it didn't bother me as much to ignore those because I'm like, I don't want to go run across the stupid hinterlands (laughs) to pick up the stupid thing. This is stupid. Yeah. I've done this eight times. Stop. Yeah, I, I I haven't actually played Dragon Age, but um, people who have listened know that I um, I played World of Warcraft for a while, and then I stopped, and then I played for a couple of months, and now I stopped again. But um, I like I like doing all like I'm like I gotta do all the quests, and I gotta <laughs> read them all. So like I'm playing with friends, and they're running off, and like halfway done by the time I'm done reading my oh. little quest sheet, and it's bad. <laughs> Yeah, my um, I live with with two other girls and we all play. And so we we go through and we each do something different during Dragon Age so that we can see a wider range of things. It's like, okay, you're going to romance so and so and you're going to help the Templars and you're going to romance so and so and you help the mages and I'm going to just hate everyone. (laughs) (laughs) It's like me in real life. Yeah. (laughs) so that way we sort of get to to see it in multiple ways rather than all of us having to play through it 18 times to see the different possibilities. So that helps. That's a fantastic way to approach it. I love that idea. Yeah, it's worked out pretty well for us. So what other games do you play? I haven't played in a while. I actually, it's going to sound really weird, but I actually wrote my thesis on video games. Um, and I kind of burned myself out on them at uh. that point. And I haven't really played as much. Dragon Age is probably the first game I've picked up and played all the way through in a long time. And then I played Rayman, the newest one. I think it's Legends. I played through that one because it was just a fun, pretty game with fun music and adorableness. So I was cool with that. But yeah, I haven't played in a long time. Seriously, I guess Bioshock is probably one of the last ones I played through before Dragon Age. Um. I have a bunch of games and they just sort of sit there and taunt me. Like I still, I still haven't played the last of us. Oh, it's so good. I know it's partially because my roommate owns the console and it's 
it's an older backwards compatible one, so it could play PS2 games and it uh, overheats before it even gets to the opening credits of The Last of Us. <laughs> so until until somebody breaks down and buys a new console, we <laughs> that game is just not possible. So The Last of Us is actually the game that got me back into playing video games. Oh, I've heard it so good. And I've heard a lot of criticism about it, but I just, I became so emotionally invested. Like, I'm not a first-person shooter type game player. Like, this don't really appeal to me. But they had this, like, nuanced character development that was, like, gradual and over time. And you get to know these characters. And, oh, my gosh, I just, I absolutely loved it. Just loved it. So, yeah, when you can play it, I really encourage you to. And it's not, it's... You know, I'm slow and not very good because I don't play first person shooters. So it takes me a while to get through an area. But uh, like it's like a 30 or 40 hour game, I think. Okay. Um, so it was I just I and the DLC, the DLC is really good for it. And oh. yeah, yeah, I will. I will wax poetic about The Last of Us. <laughs> yeah. How how graphic is it? Because my roommates are really kind of squickish about gore. So we I there's like like Hannibal. I love Hannibal, but I have to watch it. At it is a good times. series. It um, is. There's only one scene in Hannibal that really kind of got me where I was like, I don't know. Huh. So my barometer is probably off <laughs> compared to theirs. But um, so I, I actually haven't played it in almost a year. So it's been a little while, but um, I don't remember it being too bad. I mean, there's definitely some like blood splatter when you hit something, but it's mm-hmm. not like, you, you know, when you kill someone, they're not like lying in a puddle of, of gore or anything. Okay. It's, you know, it's not... I didn't I didn't find it particularly graphic, but, you know, I love The Walking Dead and Hannibal. So I don't know if you can go (laughs) by me. So what was what was your thesis on? (laughs) Okay, so. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, Okay, so I I looked at the the Kinect, um, the Xbox Kinect, and Mm -hmm. I looked at basically how that playing through that format creates a sort of cyborg on the screen where it's almost an out-of-body moment where you embody this creature on the screen as opposed to your own body. Mm -hmm. Um, So I sort of talked about the rhetoric of the body and the mind. So that was, that was the, the, the like spark notes version, I guess. (laughs) That's really interesting, though, because I think that's the power of video games. Yeah, and it was, I mean, it was really cool, and I'm still super passionate about researching video games, and I'm still super passionate about researching fandom, but grad school really burned me out on mm. a lot of stuff, so I've kind of had to to step back from being academic brain. <laughs> I think grad, that's part of the purpose of grad school, is to just burn <laughs> you out. Yeah, grad school is just like, no, you need to calm down. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I still I I would like to do more with it in the future. But right now I just kind of I started to dabble back into doing a fandom research. I'm trying to do like a once a month post about fandom on my blog, but sort of just doing baby steps back. So I know someone you need to get in touch with. Her name is Anna McGill and she's a games writer. 
Okay. Um, she worked like Guild Wars two. Uh, oh, she's been she's worked on some some pretty big titles, but um, she's part of what she's doing now is working with Giant Space Cat um, on a project called Project Untold. Um, is the working title, and they're actually um, part of the research that she did as she was kind of developing the concept for this game was she studied fandom. Um, And it's basically um, going to be a platform to enable people to tell their own stories. It sounds really, really neat. Um, Yeah. And, um, you know, Anna, so one of the episodes of the podcast, she's actually been, I guess, on here three times. (laughs) And, um, and I, I've loved talking to her every time I got to meet her at PAX and it was like one of my highlights of the trip. But anyway, um, so I had her on here with a, a person named Kabe Wilson, Wilson, a person named Kabe. Um, <laughs> and she was talking about the supernatural fandom and how she had like died. She dove into that. And at the time she, they had an announced project untold. So I didn't know why, but I think it'd be really interesting to get you two together. So I will, I will try to facilitate that because you, you will likely have some interesting conversations. That would be super exciting. So we are coming up on an hour. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about today? Oh gosh. Not that I can actively think of. (laughs) We've covered a lot. I know. I I felt this pressure as we were talking um, about you coming on. So Jessica Dennis of Unconsolable introduced us and, uh, and, you know, you and I were talking back and forth and, and you were like, oh, I do panels on diversity and I've worked at like I've worked conventions and I write these <laughs> books and I do this stuff. And and Jessica's like, yeah, and she wrote her thesis on on gaming. And I was <laughs> like, I have so much to talk to her about it. I only have an hour. So <laughs> I feel like I crammed like we crammed a whole lot into this episode because there is just oh, that's all right. so much. So thank you for coming on. Yeah, this was fun. So Andrea, how can people find you online? Um, I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr, and my username is Judy Blackcloud on all of those. So you can find me there. Um I also have a fan page on Facebook that people can find me at, which is just Andrea Judy author. Um, and I'm always happy to talk to people about whatever. I really like helping new writers sort of find their way because I, I had help. And so I like to re-extend that. So yeah, I'm happy to talk about whatever. And this has been so much fun. Thank you. Um, well, and people can find the show on Twitter at less than or equal. Uh, if you have feedback, suggestions for guests, or would like to be a guest, please go to lessthanareequal.com and fill out the contact form. And if you have a few minutes, it would be wonderful if you'd leave a review on iTunes. And as announced at the beginning of the show, we now have a Patreon at patreon.com slash Aline, A-L-E-E-N. Thanks for listening. Until next time on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for Less Than or Equal. <laughs>